Hello everybody and welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? We've been playing pub quizzes and all things like that, virtually, and all game related. <laughs> That's Grog Meatish. So many thanks to Dirt The Dice from the Grog No Files podcast. If you don't listen to more of these, you go over there. But we're back and we're feeling skillful. Uh, with me always is my good friend Baz. How are you doing, Barry? Uh, I'm alright, thanks mate. Yeah, no actual pubs were harmed during the construction of our terrible quiz effort last week. That's they? right. Neither were any answers harmed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've done a lot better, but we were dragged down by the line editor of Call of Cthulhu getting a Call of Cthulhu question wrong and things like I that. I know. I'll not mention his name. Shocking. But <laughs> no, it would be wrong. To, it would be wrong, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, to, it would be wrong to say that on mic. We definitely shouldn't say that. So, so let's not. Let's skip ahead to, to our topic for today. So we've had a couple of conversations around uh, combat and fighters and things like that. And then we chatted a little bit about magic. So the next logical step is to talk about thieves in that uh, array of characters that we might have down a dungeon or playing in a role-playing game. And skill systems and things you can do with them. And do you even need them? Because... If we go back to the, the early days of Dungeons and Dragons, when it all started, there wasn't really such a thing as skills. And if you look at a lot of OSR games these days, for example, you might have three stats and that's all you roll. And if you're doing something vaguely dex related, like, I don't know, acrobatics or picking a lock, you just roll your decks. Why should I have skills? Uh, so uh, where did it all start with skills and, and how's it gone right or wrong, Bass? Well, uh, as you say, mate, my um, my history with skills, I think, is largely the same as most people's who got in on the kind of ground floor of the hobby. That the only thing you would ever you would ever see as a skill out in D and D certainly would be that little table that had thieves skills on it, mm. um, and they were just fundamentally broken to my ten year old eyes. Even then, <laughs> I never got any better. What was it? Something like eight percent chance of finding a trap, and then you had to roll yeah. it again to remove it. And either one of if you fail either one, you're basically dead. <laughs> um, but you had a 96% chance of climbing up a, a, a smooth mirror, like a sheer surface, <laughs> and that went up 1% each level. It was just random. Oh, just totally random. So, And the only class that had skills, right? No, you didn't have, like, fighter skills or anything. No, no, exactly. And then and then some of them were rolled on a D6, and some were rolled on percentage dice, and, uh, well, it was bizarre. Um People still have such an affection for those sort of days, but but genuinely, try playing them. They don't work. Anyway, um, so that was skills then. But I, I, I distinctly remember, distinctly remember being quite surprised moving from D&D &D and any other games that I kind of dabbled with in the early days into things like RuneQuest um, and Traveller, to a, to a lesser extent Traveller. But RuneQuest certainly had, had the big list going on, didn't it, of uh, various things that you could do and you were much more defined by your skills in that game than you were any sort of like element of like race or class combos that I'd come from. Mm, yeah, and I think that's that then held probably right up until indie games. So for maybe twenty years or so, I think certainly in the mainstream, um, all games character sheets looked a lot more like a kind of a, an Excel spreadsheet, a lot more accountancy based, and uh, they actually had the word accountancy written on some of them, wouldn't they? <laughs> with 5% yeah, chance yeah. <laughs> and um, and skills were like the way that you interfaced with your games for a very very long time and, I, and I'm struggling to think now of games back in the 80s and 90s that didn't have skills at the heart of them yeah I think once the genie came out of the bottle that was it then wasn't it like, everybody yeah. went, oh that's a good idea 
that's how we should measure our characters from now on is how good they are at doing individual tasks yeah I mean I think that's where gaming went wrong but you know <laughs> hence the podcast I guess yeah <laughs> I mean there are there are plenty of people genuinely there are plenty of people who think that D&D went wrong with the introduction of the thief because it wasn't there in the very first book there were fighting men and magic users and clerics and the thief was in the first supplement I believe um and that's that you know so skills were literally a bolt on to that game and people do yeah. believe that that's where things started to go a bit awry and i have some sympathy for that view as well i mean i definitely think that um having skills makes you look to your character sheet to answer a problem posed by your gm more than your own ingenuity or imagination uh, for good yes. or bad you can't help it and um and, and i think everybody has a tolerance for a skill number or how many, sorry, how many discrete skills you would have in your game. Everyone has a different tolerance for that. Mine's pretty low, I'm aware of that. I, I, I can quite happily play a game that has six abilities, which are skills by any other name, I guess, but um, I, I'd quite happily do that. I'd, I'd pick uh, Fate Accelerated over Fate Core for that very reason, because six approaches is enough for me. But I'm well aware that that's an opinion that isn't shared by everybody, and, and other people would balk at that and, and would want to see 20, 25, maybe even more skills on their sheet to feel comfortable or, or a sense of verisimilitude about what they were playing. Yeah. Where are you at, mate? I, I could go down to about a dozen or something. I'm thinking of things like Blades in the Dark or mm. uh, the new edition of Duty and Honor that's going to be coming out and things like that. If you had sort of like three or four attributes or stats or what do you want to call them, uh, maybe three skills each or something. I don't know. I yep. like the number three for some reason. Uh, maybe it's something to do with Worlds of Darkness, for example, that had. Uh -huh. Kind of like three broad social areas, and each had three stats. And then you put dots in each, so you'd be, and you you kind of measure what you were good at and what you weren't good at, and you had to balance mm -hmm. it a little bit. I think part of the fun with skills, and I don't know whether this is true or not, I'm just just sort of occurring to me as we speak about it, is the fun of making your character and tuning it and, and fine dial, you know, dialing the up and down and yeah. looking for optimizations and things like that. I think. For for simpler games, there's less of that to do. You just think I'm either brawny or I'm brainy. Or I'm cool, and you've only got you know a limited amount of choices. Mm. As soon as you have something like the old white wall system, or even the newer one, you've kind of got nine different attributes that you can be good at, and then you can have specialisations within skills. But the skills themselves are kind of specialisations on attributes. Yes. So if you have a high intelligence, you can then choose to have lots of computer skill to make you really good at computers mm. within that sphere of being generally intelligent and stuff like that. So I think part of the fun with skills is the is the the, the messing about and making your character and tuning it the way you want it to be mm. and sometimes going for larger attributes with little bits of skills or sometimes going really niche down in one area so I think it's that kind of um, ability to make your own character which a lot of computer games do now as well of course you can spend endless hours with various different games like fine tuning things by percentage points which is probably a bit too much mm. but some of that I think then translates into the game so you fine tune a character the way you want it and then when you play when it comes the chance to do like hacking a computer for example for, the, for that stat uh, skill combo I just mentioned like you'd be really good at it and, and you, you, know, you, you sort of get a, a sense of right this is my time to shine as yeah. opposed to if everybody just had intelligence and somebody's got to make the computer hacking role it's more like well who's got the best but it doesn't doesn't feel as much your thing it almost True. feels like you can in character gen you can design the activities that you want to do more uh, more granularly than you can if you've got more skills and things to mess about with perhaps 
Yeah, I think theoretically that's right. On a practical level, I don't see it happen so much. I would I, love it if uh, if if presented with uh, character generation options that you were writing. This it's been called like a love letter to the GM before, hasn't it? If you put yeah. an ability on your sheet, you're saying, "Please, can I do this?" But mm-hmm. I, I'm not certain that that many GMs actually design their scenarios around what's on the player character sheets. I think they should. I think absolutely mm-hmm. they should. It's a, a really beautiful piece of advice in Sly Flourish's work about how to prepare for games is to review character sheets and see what their goals, agendas, and abilities are. And yeah. his first thing is like, can you remember the names of your player characters? And that's actually quite an exercise when you get your pencil and bit of paper out and you think, oh, goodness me, I'm not sure I do. <laughs> Let alone whether they've invested some points in brewing. Because if they had, you'd obviously want to put some brewing into the next game, wouldn't you? But yeah, so I don't know if that actually happens in practice, but as a bit of lonely fun, the idea of tweaking your character, I guess if you want to put some points into brewing, whether or not it comes up in the game is oh, perhaps that's a moot point. Um, you want to know that your character... Um, has some background and some skill in brewing does it need to be the focus of a game maybe it doesn't you maybe you're the only person who'll ever know that there's you know there's things mm-hmm. about us in real life that only our close friends know you know but it's part of your personality i think when um when gaming started off um with with original D, your character was largely defined by the person playing them couldn't really be helped and then the stuff that they carried whether it was a scale mail or what type of pole arm it was or whether in your pack you had a piece of chalk and a small steel mirror uh, and a piece of wire. That was yeah. how you solved things. But then with the addition of skills into the game, it became about what, what sort of person you are and what you can do, almost regardless of equipment. Mm. So skills definitely give you more rounded characters. Um, I, I think my contention would be how much they, actual, they actually offer when the rubber hits the road and you're playing a game. Because as soon as you've got a skill system, you've got pass or fail binary stuff that goes with it too often you have all of that stuff that I know that you've spoken about before um, with spot hidden roles in Call of Cthulhu which has been considered enough of a problem to make an entire game line spin off out of that conundrum (laughs) and if it's true for spot hidden it's true for brewing and it's true for astronomy and it's true for firearms pistols in brackets is it not and and that's that's sometimes something that I, uh, I am conflicted about and I still don't know what the answer is to skills, but every time I see a character sheet that's got more than 15, I think that's about my number, I do kind of retreat from it a little bit for that reason. Yes, yeah, I know what you're saying. I was a little bit disappointed with the new edition of Savage Worlds that they'd done something like they introduced an athletic skill, which mm. was brilliant, because for all the other editions, you had throwing and climbing and swimming and possibly another one that I can't remember off the top of my head as individual skills. It's like, mm. how often am I going to use the swimming skill? Unless we're playing a piracy game. Mm. And if someone's put points in it, that means we really need to cross a river at some point and no one else has got swimming. Yeah. And that becomes a bit of an issue. So having those all just like athletics, so if you want to do athletic stuff, that feels the right level of skill. That The problem I've got with the game is that I've then introduced some other granularity elsewhere and introduced more other skills that I thought well why have you done that Like you were driving towards a tighter set of skills that made more sense and could be used more broadly and then you put some more individual ones in that make just make uh, intrusive skill problems that you were talking about there I think mm. a little bit I think one needs to be done with games with skills in particular is just to not look at pass and fail which is something we harp on about quite a True. lot but you know uh, there's always the open question about climbing as a skill and what happens if you fail it do you fall off the mountain and die and if not then then what 
How, how many feet can you climb if you make a climbing roll? How many climbing rolls are you going to make players roll? Like all those sort of actions are what leads to, I think, people generally going off scales quite a bit because it seems like I'm now rolling dice, but I'm not interested in the outcome. Yeah. Or the, the outcome's so ridiculous that I've, I've lost interest in the game to a degree. So I think you're right. It's about keeping it down. It's, I think, consolidating the number of skills so they can do things within an area of expertise, I think is probably what you want, like mm. athletics, for example, or just generally computers. I don't want a separate hacking and computer programming skill, as I've seen in one game recently. It's like, like just if I want my character to be good at computers, let me pick a thing that lets me do that, whether it's a trait or whether it's a mm. skill specifically, whatever it is. But um, let's not try and break things down too much, otherwise there's a lot of redundancy and there's things on your character sheet you don't use or like you say people look at the character sheet trying to work out how they can use the things they have gotten written down rather than what approach they can take to resolve a situation yeah I've recently um, I recently ran a, uh, an episode of The Spy Game which is a game that's just come out on PDF uh, successfully kickstarted based off the 5e engine it's an espionage <laughs> game as you would imagine there's a lot to like about it I'll just use this as an example of where I scratch my head a little bit um, because it's based off of 5e, it uses the 5e skills um, and, and obvious things to change, but it's obviously stripped out Arcana because that's not going to happen in a modern espionage game. Sure. Um, but it's kept things like stealth and deception and, and all the other things you, you would expect. Um, and they've really just t turned it into a modern version of 5e. But they've added in espionage as a skill, which you'd <laughs> think, well, all right, fair enough. And infiltration. So you've got stealth, infiltration, and espionage, and there may even have been another one as well because there's bound to be like, there is there's at least two or three for computing, and that just seems like there's just too much of a crossover there, mm. and you then end up, and it did it, in the course of the game, I ended up having to go and look at the rules to see which one might apply for trying to shadow someone across a, a crowded casino, you know, just sort of staying slightly out of sight but never losing complete sight of your mark, and arguably. Does it matter which one you pick? Well, it kind of does if we've done the thing that you were talking about earlier where someone's been putting some points into things when they've been doing their lonely fun and, and they kind of expect yeah. to be called upon to roll something and they put themselves in situations where without saying the skill word, without saying the name of the skill, you know, they're playing like taboo, aren't they, or articulate. They're, they're trying to yeah. describe their action without naming the skill, hoping that the GM's going to go, ah, oh, it sounds to me like you're trying some espionage, like you see in examples of play all the time. And then yeah. when I when I called for like uh, stealth, I think it was, I got a raised eyebrow from the player, and rightly so. And I didn't realise what they were doing with their numbers, and it just became it became a bit of a negotiation about something that felt like it shouldn't have been a negotiation at all. Mm. And actually, I found myself falling back into the thing that I hate most about my own GMing, and I'm constantly trying to solve it, is to not keep asking for dice rolls every single action. Mm. And I think skill systems push me to asking for dice rolls. In every single yeah. action and when there's two or three options for each one as well then it pushes you into having a tiny miniature ruling session which can be fun in an osr setting but actually there's a game needs playing here can we get on yeah. with it you know um, yeah, and, it, and then at the other end of the scale it's something that happens frequently is that people will try and roll intimidation to shortcut an entire combat mm. because it's a single skill roll and they want people to just throw their weapons down or run away. And that seems reasonable, doesn't it, if you're good at intimidating? But without fudging, because don't do that, because that's rubbish. Who really wants to, like, you know, strip the encounter back to being over in a second? 
I don't know. It's, it's, sometimes those skill uses just, they always leave me feeling a bit, oh, that didn't feel very smooth or satisfying. And it, when it's supposed to be achieving the opposite, it's supposed to make the game more, I presume, uh, more verisimilitudinous. Yes, I think, I have noticed that behaviour with some players uh, who try and use skills like special powers. Yeah. yeah I, I do get the, the intimidate ones, a particular one, where you're in the middle of a fight, and so, oh, can I intimidate him to go away? It's like, you're kind of trying to cut each other's guts out with rusty yeah. eyes at this point. Like, he's not, any intimidation he felt, he's already feeling, because you're trying to, like, mm. you know, stab him. Like, just by shouting at him a bit more, or saying, I'm going to get you. Like, he's, he knows he's trying to get him. He doesn't mm. feel like that should be a thing, but I, I do know, I've I witnessed it, certainly from some players, you feel, like, they feel aggrieved if they can't and automatically make a, a bad guy run away by shouting at him. Mm. So, well, that's not really, that's not what the skills are for, <laughs> almost. But that's that's part of the problem, isn't it? Is that you have a combat yeah. section, and then you have a skills chapter, and they are two different subsystems, and that's when you're trying to cross streams, and there's there's, there's a lack of uh, fluidity or smoothness between the two that sometimes feels incongruous, or it's it's hard to know when you can switch gears and when you can't. Yeah, almost. It really is, mate. And, and in fairness to Five E, they they state in the rules that intimidation cannot be effective within combat, which I think is a good call. Mm. But that's not an obvious one. That's kind of buried away in in a lot of text. And and the other thing that the other the other place I see skills getting a bit too difficult is certainly in the kind of games that I play, which are quite trad and quite action economy based. Is that using a skill in a combat is often the the kind of worst thing you can do from an action economy point of view. Yes, it's like an entire turn to try and perceive something during a fight. I mean, mm. when I wrote my own game, I made skill use absolutely free within combat because I, I want to encourage people to try stuff that isn't just stab or shoot. Um, and if you're making something take as long as stabbing or shooting and it inflicts no damage on your opponent, well, we're back to that old conversation about imposing the dead condition is the quickest way to resolve anything. So yeah. if skills can't get a look in in a fight, then you are, you're encouraging just you know hitting each other's bags of hit points. And I think charging people a full action to do anything is... It's, it works fine out of combat because you're not yeah. counting actions, and if it, but but why exclude them from from what is often the meat of a game? Yeah, so I tried it. Well, I didn't try. I used uh, what's called dramatic task in Savage Worlds at the Grog Meetish this weekend, and essentially it means that you've got X number of rounds depending on as Jim with your fiat how long you want it to go on for, and you have to accumulate a certain number of successes before that's out otherwise a big thing happens and with this it was like there's lots of these zombies trying to burst into the room and after three rounds they're like the doors are going to give in they're going to be in the room and then you're going to have to either retreat or just be subsumed by them it's up to you but you also need to get this information out of the computer system so it's up to you how many people try and do that but you need to accumulate this many successes within three rounds or it's all over that's the thing so there's some drama there to it but it did feel I don't know it might it's just much my reading but certainly one of the players seemed to be a little bit like I guess I'll just roll computers again then by round three. Yeah. But in my head, I thought it'd be more exciting. I was describing, you know, the the, the door splintering and the, the arms reaching through and stuff. But I think for the player, it's more just, well, I'm just rolling my skill three times and that's all I'm doing. Um, so I think an element of it's got to be from players and gem is like how much imagination invention you can put around skills, like anything that you're rolling in the game. Like it's it's a matter of, you know, introducing your own feeling of tension to the to the role almost and making it worthwhile, uh, not having too many roles like you've mentioned. So probably before I let you jump back in, the other thing I was going to mention because I'll, I'll forget otherwise. 
It's, um, things that it, it intimidates, but it's like the result of actions. Like you say, I'm a bit, I fall for it, especially like notice rolls or perception or whatever. You end up just saying, oh, just make me roll. I'm not really expecting the story to go in a different direction, no matter what the result is. So why are you asking? But it's about thinking what a negative role might mean, or you know, what, what's the outcome. So intimidate is a good example. I had another game where someone was pointing a gun at a bad guy and saying, "Right, you do do what I want, etc. I'm going to shoot you." And I said, "Make an intimidation roll, and you know, you can have a bonus because you've got a gun and this, this mm-hmm. that, and the other." And the player was just, you know. Uh, quite outraged. It was like, oh, come on. If I pointed a gun at you, you'd do what I told you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we had a little bit of a moment about it. Mm. I'd sort of do, like, your intimidation might fail. He might still apparently do what you think you want him to do and then change his mind halfway through once he's out of gunshot or, you know, out of the line of fire or whatever. Uh, he might just break down completely and, be, you know, be just a gibbering wreck and unable to do anything because he's so terrified he's going to get shot. You know, there's all kinds of different circumstances that could be a failed intimidation role rather than he's not intimidated. Mm. So I think that's the other thing that probably needs more of in books rather than having, because you have long skill chapters that have a long description of what charm is or perception or all these things that we know what the word means. And what they could do instead is, what happens if this role fails or succeeds? Like what's yep. the cool stuff that comes out of a dice roll? And I think that's probably what's missing from skill chapters. Agreed. A, a skill use should be a branch point, like any dice roll should be a branch point. And uh, your adventure, should be going off in a different direction depending on success, failure, and that's assuming you just use binary. If you're using extreme and hard successes or crits or fumbles, then there should be so many branch points off of these. But very often they're not. They're more like little obstacles, aren't they? Little speed bumps. No more Mm. than that. Um, It's just something to be overcome, and it can be done with time. And This is a solved problem mechanically with things like take 10 and take 20 in D20. That solved that issue. Um, And... uh, and fail forward is another mechanism for making sure that and fail forward is actually quite neat it's one of my preferential ones I, I like that very much the idea that if a skill roll is failed that doesn't mean it doesn't happen you can still kind of succeed but the campaign will take some kind of a twist or failure maybe even later on maybe not even that day and maybe not even to you you know but it will just put a little wrinkle in the backstory that will come back to haunt you gives you something to reincorporate that's that's a neat trick but having to do these workarounds at all is, to me, indicative that you know some skills are kind of there because they're always there. You've got to be quite brave to write a role-playing game that doesn't have skills, and, and skills are, you know, as a someone who has designed a game would be, you know, an easy chapter to write. <laughs> the word count would just be there. It'd be so simple to do, and I think gamers would expect to see a skills chapter. There isn't one in King of Dungeons, and and as I said right at the top, you know, loads of indie games don't have them at all. Uh, just don't feel it's necessary but you know um, but but there's still a, a massive holdout for skills I've been um, I'd be interested in your take on this because as you know I've been learning how to play Call of Cthulhu recently how to run it mm-hmm. um, and I find that uh, quite a change of pace for me um, as regards like you know the call and response of going through a natural game and, and I keep a, a character sheet nearby when I'm running the game so that I've got a clue as to what kind of skills are available to PCs yeah. so that I know what to ask for rather than I don't ever want to say like have you got a skill that would be useful and I never want to hear players saying you know I, I use demolitions which <laughs> actually I don't think is a skill on the character sheet but, but that goes to my point you know I often want to have that skills set near me and I find Call of Cthulhu quite quite sobering with this list of skills 
what what about you have you got like your savage world skills internalized in your head can you can you find out what can you translate player actions really quickly or yeah 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 but if i'm running delta green for example which is like Cthulhu but slightly different i have to have the character shape right and say for like you know pendragon is another one mm. that i don't i run it quite frequently but not frequently enough that i've remembered all the skills so i need to have the sheet ready so i can i know what i'm asking for and it yeah. does lead to some awkwardness when there's redundancy on sheets i think um like Cthulhu and those sort of games brp i think are guilty of this you can get around it with better gm in the scenario design etc but there's still a problem that on the sheet quite often and I, I, again i can't say this with certainty now because i'd need to go and check the sheet to find yeah, out what's on it which, so which i could describe which, which the point, is the problem it? you're describing <laughs> but an old problem used to be in previous editions was things like you'd have botany and biology which are so close as yeah. to be I would ask why do you need those two different why do they need two different numbers in them mm. and quite often you'd be in a scenario and you'd need one but not the other and you go but I've got this one which you know to most reasonable people sounds similar enough that you'd like to roll for it but if you let someone roll for it the person who has got the number in it if they have, if there is someone would feel aggrieved then uh, so that feels like too much differentiation on the street I think that comes back to what you were saying earlier about having maybe 12 or 15 skills at the outside and once you're over that, there's there's too many things to keep hold of, and you either have to ask for specific ones that quite often people won't have due to the number of skills there are. Yeah. And if you ignore that, then why have you got all the different skills? Because you're just picking one that sounds right. And that's a very good Cthulhu. We're not banging out Cthulhu specifically. This is across many games, but I know some Cthulhu refs that will say, make me some kind of uh, you know social skill role, hmm. and and that's because there's charm and persuasion and fast talk and I think Intimidate or Bribery or something. So there's at least four, mm. and they've all got, if you read the rule book, a slightly different circumstance in which you should use them, but nobody builds a character and puts 60% in all four of them. They might have a couple of them, say, maybe even one, like sort of pick one social skill, but then just use that. And if you're going down mm. the road of make me some sort of social skill role, you've got to ask why have you got four differentiated skills for that one thing in your game? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, some of it comes from system mastery, I think, doesn't it? So you know, you know your savage skill list off the off the back of your hand, no problem at all. I know the D and D skill list off the back of my hand, so you know I don't actually have to go and look that up. So a social skill in D and D, there's there's basically three ways of doing it. You've got deception, intimidation, and persuasion, and those seem to me to be three different ways of doing something. You're either trying to con someone, you're trying to convince them or you're trying to club them across the back of the head and threaten them with violence. Um, and I could, I personally think that's fine. That's all right. Uh, but one of the issues I have is whenever I transfer into a different game, they've all got slightly different names. And all of a sudden it's like, is it bluff that I'm asking for? And just even, even that little bit of negotiation can kind of kick you out of the moment. Or then the player goes back and looks at their sheet and goes, oh, damn it, yeah, I'd forgotten that bluff was a thing. Well, actually, I was kind of hoping to roll, you know, charm. Go, well, yeah. well, then you'll need to describe your approach a bit differently because the way you said it was <laughs> that you were going to be doing something different. So that kind of translation of back and forth, if if the skills weren't there at all, and I'm not suggesting that it should be purely an ability, but if you look at something like moves in Powered by the Apocalypse games, you have a much more sort of like smaller list and obviously a broad umbra of abilities within it. But you know the move only triggers when the player says they do something, which means that they're doing it. Yeah. Um, which can we can get quite arcane about, can't we? And many thousands of words have been written on what exactly that means. But I, 
I like the approach of that, if not always the implementation. But pixel bitching about skills when you've got 30 or 40 of them on your character sheet, yeah, it makes me recoil. And it makes for a, it makes for a game that doesn't have any kind of momentum. That can, that yeah. It just stalls all the time. Yeah, yeah, agreed. You see, with D&D and Deception, there's that thing where, um, I think one of my most recent characters had Deception quite high because of that character class, I can't remember which one it was. Hmm. But that meant that I could only use that when I was telling lies. So at some point when I'm trying to persuade someone or something and I'm not lying or yeah. you know trying to deceive them, it's like, oh, we can't use deception for that. That's persuasion or whatever. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> I'm, I'm a silver-tongued rake or whatever. Like, I shouldn't be good at persuading people. Yeah, but it's not like, okay, well, how many lies do I have to sprinkle into this thing before it becomes deception and then clicks over back to the skill I want to use? Yes. Um, it's just a yeah, weird... Yeah. It's like it's, it's almost like a just a... A clunk of gear change. We haven't put the clutch in properly. Your, your gears aren't quite yeah. slotting in, uh, so it feels like you don't want skills to be a barrier. I think that's what we're saying, isn't it? It's fine having them, and I think for some people, it's because of the very similitude, or they they can see why you would have a separate botany and a biology skill because they're different fields. Mm. And someone with a PhD in, in one or the other of those might know something about the other one, but not as much as the other PhD does. But that's not. That's not helping you in a game, is it? That's no. you shouldn't have a character sheet that's just trying to describe what a person's like in real life when you've got dragons or Haster in your game as well. That's not you're arguably trying to define things too accurately to make it realistic in inverted commas at the expense oh, yeah. of gameability and fun at the table and making a smooth experience. Thinking about skills leads me down a path of realism, which is not a path that is normally fruitful for me in gaming mm. at all. Um, in fact. As soon as I see conversations start to go that way, again, I recoil from it. And that's everything from hit points to uh, certainly to skill use. Because I think, you know, the people who really want to simulate reality are obviously going to be big fans of skill systems. Um, you know, maybe going as far as GURPS and spending quarter points on things. Um, or life path systems or, or you know, Call of Cthulhu where you get an occupational package of stuff. You know, it just feels more realistic, whatever that means. I'm not. I don't need that in my gaming at all. I think you know. To your point, Gaz, I would be very, very happy to play a character that had Silver Tongue Devil written on the piece of paper somewhere, and we all know what that means. And I will push that button where appropriate. And you know, and if the GM says, "Yeah, you're pushing that button," it's not appropriate in this situation. I'd go, "Oh, fair enough. You know, fair cop. I'll do something yeah. different or not at all. That's all right." But you know, when you come to when you apply too much realism to games, it, it kind of breaks them a little bit for me and. And I start thinking about things like the perception skill, which outside of trained espionage agents, I don't know if you can really build a skill <laughs> in perception for like seeing the orcs hiding behind the trees. Is that a skill? Is that an innate ability? Why am I even having that conversation with myself? It's just like, oh, goodness me, we're not playing D&D now, are we? It's, this has all gone wrong. And that yeah. would be true of even deception, which I, I can fully understand that you might be able to like get some tricks of the trade with 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 lying to people and doing tells and all of that kind of gambling stuff you know and, and you know what skill do you use for gambling in a game that doesn't have the skill for gambling is that deception is it insight is it perception and that's just using the D&D skill set which I'm absolutely sure is not the gold plate gold standard for skills of using gaming so uh, you know, the more I think about skills and skill and anything to do with it the more I realize that that's probably going to take away from the fun that I want to have for those reasons yeah. Well, to take away your fun some more, I mean, I'll briefly mention gambling because that's a skill that again I hate because it has one very specific time when you use it and mm. you may use it just to get a bit more money. 
and quite often in games these days that I play anyway, people don't track money that frequently, so it doesn't matter. It's yeah. like just a pointless skill. I don't know. That is, it's just like you might as well have a skill called cooking in a game where you don't really, you never see a character eat because or go to the bathroom or anything. You just ignore all that. Yeah. It's on the background because you're doing kill stuff instead. But I suppose another thing with skills, I, uh, I don't know. It's do you count? I guess what I'll move on. What about things like traits then? Because you mentioned silver tongue devil. So what mm. if you have just things like firearm trained? Is a mm -hmm. skill in inverted commas. It might be a traitor, a feat, or whatever you want to call it. Mm. But effectively, you're giving your character a skill at that point. And you know, an, an old problem with skills can be as well that, for example, dexterity is the daddy start, as we call it, because yeah. lots of the skills seem to fall under it. And then, you know, strength might have climbing, maybe, and force door if that's even a skill, mm. and very little else. So it, it seems imbalanced as well. So I, I, did, I can't remember what game it was, but I did see one that had perception as a stat. And I thought it was great because yep. that solves the perception skill problem because you've just got perception or you haven't. It's as high as it is innately. And they use that for things like firearms or shooting bows and not agility or dexterity. Yeah. So that balancing that, that was quite cool. So how about that? I mean, I think probably a, a more seated game to use probably a way to put it, but maybe not have the same six attributes. Maybe perception is one of them, maybe it isn't. Mm -hmm. And then added things in like, you know, uh, fencing master or firearms training or you know uh, biochemical scientist or whatever else you want to add and they can either be broad or narrow or on a list or you just make it up yourselves but aren't traits and things like that that you add essentially skills they are giving you extra uh, chances of success in a particular niche rather than mm. the broad attribute ability yeah they are they are guys you're, you're absolutely right mate some of this is purely semantics i totally right. get that you know if you you look at Fate Accelerated, which has got its six stats. We, you and I, always say stats. I think that's the era we grew up in. I think, yeah. Depending on the game, it's usually abilities or characteristics, isn't it? But we know what a stat is. I think everyone does. Those are the only rules you've got, um, and they're, they're quite cleverly worded as approaches. But you've really you've only got six things you can mechanically do, and there's a, a there's a fate point economy that goes around it. But essentially, you've got your strength, your intelligence, and your speed, and flashy, and all of those things. Is that a, are you then playing a game that has six skills? You probably are, realistically, um, and I seem to be all right with that. And in, in a lot of other games, you've got your stat plus skill. That's a really common thing to do, isn't it? So you've yeah. got, like, I suppose, your innate talent, um, which might be your strength, and then you've got the thing that you learned how to do with it, which might be swimming. To take your previous example, strength plus swimming role, please. And you know, and sometimes games will be really generous and say you know you could use a different stat with this skill if you wanted <laughs> good because i'd like to because i genuinely can think of times when like you know endurance plus computing would be worth rolling <laughs> <laughs> and that's always the one they say that'll never happen in your game <laughs> it's like you haven't been in a roll 20 session for four hours have you mate <laughs> or, or in your employment guys <laughs> so you know um anyway back to the point i think that some of those things are uh, they are they are substitutes for skills. Um, I feel like I should mention Thirteenth um, Age, uh, which was the basis for the game that I wrote, uh, which doesn't have skills in it, but it does have expertise. So you are rolling your stat most of the time, and you will be able to claim that you've got an expertise in something from you know some word combo, whether that be your class. Like you know, if you are a rogue then I, I think everyone around the table knows what sort of things rogues can do and if you're doing something roguey have an expertise dice which is essentially the rogue skill and you have the same thing for being a dwarf 
or the same thing from being from a big city. You know, it's broad penumbra skills, they work just fine for me. The downside to that, or a perceived downside, and I've seen this for real, we have a mutual friend who will happily write Ninja as one of his three background <laughs> slots for his character, or, you know, Army Ranger, or wherever it is, he'll just pick some kind of backgroundy type thing and make it just applicable to everything in an action-adventure game. Yeah. Like a 007 agent, or 00 agent, you know. And you think, you cheeky bastard. Is it a problem, though? And, and actually, in real play, I found it to be less of a problem than I thought it was going to be. In the same way that I find it to be less of a problem when someone just mashes the, the quick button in Fate Accelerated, if that's their best number. I see it as a bit less of a problem because over a couple of games, if someone is saying, oh, because I'm a ninja, at least after a couple of sessions, you know that that character is really good at being a ninja. They've advertised their character sheet, which we've spoken about loads of time before. If yeah. they didn't show up one week, you still know what their character would do. They're, they're building maybe a stereotype, but I think they're building a, a suite of actions around their character that people will grow to know and love, and maybe hate in time, <laughs> but it's actually all right for the quick character to always try and do something quickly. I don't have a problem with that even if it is their biggest number and maybe they're doing it for the wrong reasons in inverted commas that they're they're playing to their character shtick uh, and i think that's okay and i find those characters a lot more a lot more relatable than ones who've sprinkled one or two points across 30 skills because they want to be, be able to have a go at that botany role on the on the off chance it might come up but that doesn't make mean that they're a botanist and it doesn't feel like a botanist it just feels like someone with some numbers you know that conversation the GM often has about who's got the highest insight and then everyone has to like, you know, compare character sheets. That all of the soul has gone out of the game in that five seconds for that reason. So I am I am good with name traits, even if they are basically skills in or you know, in skills clothing. Yeah, I I mean I avoid that that particular behaviour you just mentioned about who's got the highest whatever. I just I abhor it. Even as a player. Yeah. When the GM asks for a role and everybody looks down and people start asking, What have you got in this? It's like, I don't care. Like, someone do it. I'll do it. You do it. I don't care. But someone have a go. Like, stop comparing character sheets for F's sake. But that's, Can I assist? It's, it's, <laughs> it's the problem you mentioned that once it's written down on the character sheet, everyone has to have a look and compare yeah. who would be best at it. So, can I just go with the fiction and like who was doing the thing at the time? I suppose the other uh, thing around that that's, that I've seen happen as well quite often is someone like a good friend Pete who likes to chat and uh, mm. he will be a talky character in a game even if he's not picked the talky character which then falls apart when I say well go on then make me a persuasion roll or an intimidator or whatever and he mm. hasn't got that skill because that's not the but like it's oh someone else needs to roll it now and then that feels weird because you've got one player who's delivering something but then doesn't have the dice to back it up they sort of hand off to someone who said nothing and then yeah. they make a random roll to do anything that feels a bit weird but as, as a sort of counterpoint to what you were saying about approaches I do find it a problem or it's not my preferred way of playing. Sure. And I, I don't like Fate Accelerated for that reason, is someone will always be quick or always whatever. Like There's probably two that will pick because every now and again someone feels guilty that they keep mashing the same button and I pick a slightly different approach they're slightly worse at but still quite good at to yeah. try and get, you know, just make it sound different. So for me, that's uh, an example of that sort of trait system not delivering on the premise because on the face of it, you've got six different approaches and you pick one depending on what you're doing and then you roll. You look to see what number you've got and then roll dice. Mm. But in reality, what happens is people go, what am I best at? I'm going to change all my narration to match what I'm best at all the time. And it ends up being quite samey. 
for my 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 preferences but as i said it is just what you like at a table it's smoke and mirrors isn't it mate yeah I, I see this with powered by the apocalypse as well which is a game that ostensibly does not have a skill but it does they're just skills in all but name aren't they as you were yeah. alluding to so you would have all kinds of things that you could do moves would trigger you know if you want to uh, defy danger then it, the idea is that the, the the player will narrate or describe something that their character is doing the gm will read between the lines and use their magical inference ability to figure out that this is a move or not a move because you're not allowed to say the name of it and then say something along the lines of well that sounds like you're defying danger so you now have to roll the dice for defying danger it looks great on paper it really does but there does seem to be and maybe it's just the people i play with but i doubt it honestly people look at their character sheet when it's their go they think i've i've got quite a good number with defy danger so I'm going to try and defy some danger and then they look up and then they try and say everything that doesn't involve those two words so that GM <laughs> do you know what I mean and, yeah. it, and it's it's so it it's just seems so uh, what's the word con whatever the word is contrived contrived exactly right thank you mate it just seems so contrived I think in an ideal world it would be lovely to just have a conversation going backwards and forwards and people were following the fiction and maybe their character sheets were all like, you know, face down until the GM said, you may now turn over your character sheet because we're going to use a mechanic, which, as you know, we do quite rarely in our world <laughs> of fiction first. And when you finish using the mechanic, turn the character sheet back over so it doesn't confuse you. <laughs> you know, But that's not the way that I see games played. And I'm by no means a min-maxer, and neither are you, and neither are the people that we play with. But if you're going to have a character with some numbers on it, people are going to look at their abilities. And it's certainly in the initial stages of any game, you're going to want to press the buttons on your character sheet. You're going to want to fire those abilities, pull those levers, see what happens. And I don't actually think there's a problem with that at all. Um, but those those games, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse games are not that far removed from Fate Accelerated in that degree, are they? It's like, you know, you describe the approach, mate, and I'll tell you what to roll. Don't you worry about that. Mm. Well, you know, I'm not playing with people who can't read their own sheets. <laughs> so that's kind of shortcutted that, that kind yeah. of on a system is it I don't know what they're trying to achieve with it yeah it's a bit weird isn't it because the other thing that you get empowered by Apocalypse certainly Apocalypse World uh, when it first came out is you get at the start of each session you like pick one of your stats for one of better words and then the GM picks another one and they're supposed to be, that's supposed to be the thing the GM wants to see you do more of mm. but it could be the thing that you're worst in and there's yeah. that kind of a, there's a tension straight away then between the GM saying I will give you XP every time you use that thing but it's also your worst ability. <laughs> well, yeah. But there's consequences of this game every time something <laughs> fails, or even when the partial success. And I don't want to keep rolling against minus two on two d six and trying to hit a seven because mm. I I do maths and that's like those are really bad odds. I'm going to fail a lot of the time. Yeah. And I know failure is supposed to be interesting, but it doesn't feel like I don't want to press that button to get XP if another player has got two good ones they can press, and mm. then. Although it's all supposed to be fiction first and about the game, you can't help thinking about the game because and thinking, well, this is unfair now. Someone else gets to do all the cool stuff they want to do and gets XP for it and gets better. And I'm forced to act in a certain way in order to get GM Scooby Snacks. So I might get a bit better and turn this minus one to a minus a zero or whatever. I don't know. But the whole, I don't like Apocalypse World as we know. So probably best I move off that topic. <laughs> so how about Unknown Armies then? Um, I'm just we've only had one session so far of the new edition but certainly the right. old edition I think that's when well certainly I first heard the, the penumbra phrase mm -hmm. 
and skills in that I think well for starters it wasn't a skill list so that's good you just pick the skill that you yeah. want to have so that's cool and you might have a skill in say history if that's what you want your character to have and then you have a penumbra around that so that means not only do you know about history but you know about museums and mm. if you need to speak an expert in a particular field you will know the name of someone because you go on the circuit and all that kind of stuff now how about those kind of skills Baz where you don't have a sheet that people are going to look down to and go which is the appropriate skill or looking through to pick the right one you just have broad skills that cover a, a multitude of skills it's a little bit like the 13th age ones to be fair but you don't get as many you only get like about 8 mm. points in, in 13th age they're not as applicable but surely that kind of skill ability trait whatever you want to call it but like I'm good at this area of stuff to add on to your basic stats feels like the stat plus skill thing but make it a bit more palatable yeah, I think so. Yeah, that that feels better for me. Um, and it's a really portable idea that you don't see ported into other games so much. I mean, for example, the closest thing I can get to it with, uh, with D&D, because, you know, I like to use that because it's kind of like, you know, it's the uh, the Rosetta Stone of gaming for a lot of us, isn't it? But yeah, there's a, there's a background that you can have called Sage, which is usually taken by wizards, can be taken by anybody. Um, and the, the Sage background, one of the little nice bits about that is that if you fail any kind of knowledge role, um, you don't get the knowledge that you were seeking, but you do know how to find it in the future. So you might know the name of a researcher or you know that that information is contained in the Korenberg Library, or whatever it is. That's cool. So the GM has to make something. That's, that's a really nice little idea. And why it's such a nice idea, why on earth would it have to be tucked away in a single background? Surely you could just apply that to all of the skills. So yeah. if you are making a medicine role, to patch someone up on a battlefield, I think that that skill or proficiency in medicine means that you should know not just about stitching people together, but you should know about the other doctors, famous doctors, um, famous physicians, the, the penumbra that goes around that skill. I think you're absolutely right. And all of that generates world building. And world building of skill roles is a, is a great thing if you can do it. Um, and it generates plots. To go with that world as well yeah. you know if if every failed skill role invented a new contact or npc in your world you wouldn't have to prepare many scenarios that would be a lovely thing to do wouldn't it you know fail a guns roll now your guns malfunctioned okay so you've got that shot off but it's jammed now you have to take it back to the you know, the person who made it and then all of a sudden you're making up that adventure off the back of it this thing this stuff can write itself i think that you know, there is loads of leverage of skill the worst thing you can do is because just roll it Mm. that's the most boring thing you can do with a skill um, skills should go back in they should fold back into that world building like like the penumbra allows you to do and then it leverages all of that time which you suggested ages ago now about people sitting at home writing their characters thinking about what they want to be good at thinking about what they want to do in the game well let's see it happen you know, not just like in a fleeting 10 second make me a perception roll but you know Instead, let's build a little bit of the world out of it. And that's what that kind of penumbra sort of stuff does. And it's certainly what 13th Age and King of Dungeons, I hope, does as well. Is it really allows you to, to just add a little bit of flavour to things. So that hopefully no player will ever say, I use um, diplomacy on the, on the guard. You do yeah. what now? You're <laughs> killing me here. You are killing me. Don't ever say that. I know I've just had a go at Powered by the Apocalypse for saying, don't say the name of the skill out loud. But... It's because of people like that saying, you know, I diplome them. I've heard it said, I diplome yeah. people. <laughs> Get out. I'm going to stealth over there and diplome him. Like, oh, oh, God. God, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you, know, you can dress it up. You know, people would say like, can I use my insight to figure out what's going on in this room? That's acceptable, I suppose, but it's a little bit near the knuckle, isn't it, for, for a game that's all about fiction and, and the rest of it. I think, you know, I think there should be ways of doing it, but by having penumbras and self-named skills and reskinning and calling your background, you know, uh, Captain of the Eighth Legion rather than Guard, mm. that's, that's all to the better for your world and for your game, I think. Yes, for sure. Having said all that, there is there is some fun in rolling dice and rolling skills. I mean, there is, there is. You know, not every skill roll can lead to a fork in the road, and sometimes you just want to roll some things to get evaluate some kind of degree of success or something like yes. that. So, you know, I don't think either of us would say don't ever roll dice unless the world's going to end one way or the other. You, you, you can have fun just playing the game and rolling some dice and stuff, but make more of it. I think is what we're saying. So. Possibly another example to use would be something like combat, because people can quite often be happy just rolling to hit it with your axe all the time. Mm. I do that for 10 rounds on a row, but rolling 10 climb rolls on a row is pretty dull. So Yeah, well, your you know, example was computer use, wasn't it? The third time yeah. you asked them to roll computers, I went, oh, this sounds dull. You were probably all right with a pistol. Yeah, I tried to add like some more description into what was happening in terms of now the firewalls are breached and now you have to do this bit to make it sound like there's progression. Hmm. But I think that needs to be more front and center. So I think probably, even if you like skills and rolling, you know, skill use, as I say, it can be fun, is thinking of ways to bring that to life more, like you would with a sword. Some people like just hmm. saying, I hit it with my axe and that's it, and they're happy playing D&D that way. Good on you if you enjoy that. Uh, I don't think either of us do. We prefer hmm. more words around it. Hmm. So if you can do that with an axe, why can't you do it with a computer laptop or whatever else it is that you're using as your skill? Yeah. try and bring more interesting stuff into how the skill works and as I alluded to with um, with intimidation stuff is like make failures more interesting as well don't say oh you can't or you don't know you know give someone the wrong from their library you should give them the wrong information mm. and say well you know you know it was this manner and point them in the wrong place so when they break into the, the house later on in the adventure they've got the wrong manner and the police are called and some woman's clutching her pills wondering why men with tommy guns have crawled in through her back window and things you know, there's lots of things that can happen. It's a matter of, I think, applying yourselves as gems and players to make skills more interesting. And I think that narrating post-roll can play a big part in that as well. Yeah, I think it's okay to say, you know, I try deception in this case, but let's see what the roll does, and then let's work together as a table, and your table might decide the GM's in charge of this bit, or your table might say this is a player responsibility. But, you know, narrate the success or failure based off the grade that you got, even in a binary skill system. My goodness, everybody knows whether you just made it or you made it by loads. Everyone mm. knows that. It's um, it's interesting, I think it's personally interesting, that the Call of Cthulhu outside of combat, even though it has hard successes and extreme successes, it's put two grades built into it. It says that they don't actually matter once you've made the role. You only ask for that before the role. But if you either make it or you don't. Mm. So if I if I try a, a you know a, a I don't know a credit rating roll and I roll an extreme success, it's no different to having rolled a normal success at that point, unless the GM had asked for it to be extreme in the first place, which is <laughs> it's just a, it's a little bit odd for me. And 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 having played the game, when people roll hard successes, they kind of throw their hands in the air and go, "Yay!" So I must get something extra for extra. that, right? New. Yeah. No. So that's an unusual approach, but. It's so easy to do, isn't it? And so, you know, it's maybe it's quite a lot of work for the GM, but, you know, outsource it to the table. Because as you suggest, guys, 
you, you've got to put some words around it. And I think you should have different words whether you smashed it or shaded it. Mm. <laughs> and that's not beyond the will or skill of anyone listening to this podcast at all. Of course it isn't. You know, and, and similarly, a near miss or a catastrophic failure should give you new adjectives to play with. Yeah. Yeah, I think you are. And as we're alluding to, if you're playing Cthulhu and someone gets the next dream success, you can house rule it or whatever you want to call it. But you know, you can mean that that you can add some meaning mm. to that, or you could add some extra benefit or reward, or whatever it is you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, even if a, a rule system doesn't give you that, it, these are all things that are transferable amongst systems that you could add in extra bits to make it more interesting. With skill systems, guys, on on that point. Actually, anything you learn from one game is actually usually pretty portable into another. We talked about fail four, but that's incredibly portable. Yeah. Um, and many games will will bang on at length about contested roles and group roles, which we've barely touched on tonight, have we? We've been talking about somebody. It's a bit like the example of play, isn't it? But there's only ever one person in the party, and they've <laughs> yeah. always got to jump over a, a, a pit. <laughs> it's like okay, but actually, it's not really like that in real games. But, uh, but any of those things where it might be a chase subsystem, which is usually based around skills, or a hacking subsystem, which is normally based around skills, if you find something that you like in one game, that's really portable into your other game, because it's all just numbers and words, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know the idea of skill challenges from 4E, which would seem to be a bit of a Marmite confection, uh, but if you love them, you can absolutely take them to any game that's got a skill system. And it, and it maybe doesn't have a satisfactory way of resolving something over time that involves everyone around the table trying different inputs into a problem. Very, very portable. And in the same way that uh, Savage Worlds has got that dramatic task that you were talking about earlier, that's trivial to bring that into RuneQuest, I would imagine. Yeah, or any game. But yeah, but running a variety of games or playing in them uh, with Guy from the Burn After Running blog. Uh, and he does it all the time. No matter if we're playing Feng Shui or you know wh- whatever it is, it'll get to a point where we're trying to do something like prepare a castle as defenses against uh, you know the samurai that come in or whatever it might be, and that just comes down to a skill challenge. You know, just put some boxes on roll twenty on the screen and go. Mm. You need to get this many ticks before I get this many ticks down here, or your defenses aren't ready or something like that. And that's just it doesn't matter if you're playing duty on it or whatever it is. That's something you can just stick in there and use. I think that's right, and it's that's I think where um, skill challenges can become or skill use can become more interesting. It's not about doing a specific task; it's mm. about doing a larger thing that you're contributing to in part. And everybody yeah. might use a different skill, so they can all pick the one they're good at or the one they want to use depending on their approach. So um, yeah, using group skill roles or different ways of uh, combining them up to do a thing feels better than the individual granular task-based. Do I read the book? Can I get in the library? Do I see the book on the shelf in the library? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is um, which maybe brings us in a circular fashion back to we've talked a lot about um, about skill bottlenecks, the gumshoe system, mm-hmm. uh, which actually dispenses with skill roles entirely for certain parts of its game. At least its investigative abilities are just as long as you have that ability, you you won't be making a role. You won't need to make a role. You're going to get something. You're going to get virtually all of it. But if you want to throw in a couple of tokens, you're going to get even more. Taking away any element of randomness from it whatsoever, on the basis that uh, their philosophy is that the game is far more interesting when you've got all the pieces and what do you do with them, rather than playing hunt the piece. 
Yes. So their solution to to what is perceived as a skill problem is to still have the skills but take the numbers away from them. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the numbers are still there. Take take the chance away from it. Yes, take the risk. Take the variability. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the thing I don't like about Gumshoe is the rest of it. So that, that mm. investigation bit and applying certain resources at certain points feels fine. It's this that combat and other things are roll a d6 and try and get a 4 plus. Mm. And that's just not enough game for me. So so in one way, I appreciate the um, the solving of the, the riddle of how do I give clues away reliably and, mm. and not stop the adventure is, is solved in one way. But there's just not enough game for the other elements that keep me interested. Yeah. But arguably, if you wanted to do, it's that portability thing as well. You could use a similar sort of system, and port it somewhere else. And use you know just use the investigation bit, and then when you want to do chases or gunfights or something, use the normal Cthulhu rules, for example, rather using mm. trailer crew just for investigation part. I don't know. That feels a bit too much for some people, like mashing things up and not playing a game with inverted cameras. Um, but yes, there's just not enough game in. in like, ironically, the thing that it succeeds at removing game, the game elements from something, is the thing that I don't like about it because I like the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, it it had it did open up some thinking for me. It opened up a lot of things for me. I, I highly recommend reading a Gumshoe game if you've never done so. Uh, whether you play it or not, obviously that's that's your preference at the end of it. But I think you learn a lot from it. Um, mm. And one of the things that that I took away from it was, which isn't. I, don't think it's explicit in gumshoe games but it seemed like an obvious thing to do for me you might disagree take all those investigative abilities where it says make sure you know you've got a good spread around the party so there'll be someone who's good at talking with cops and there'll be someone who's good at like yeah sort of more csi chemistry stuff make sure you've got a good spread so that you can handle any investigation i thought well why not just take a pair of scissors and cut all those bits off the top of the character sheets and sellotape them all back together again and put them in the middle of the table for everyone to access um, as kind of like a party sheet uh, which is what led me to do um, guild rules for King of Dungeons where your party has a set of skills for when your party is trying to do something hmm. uh, group roles is always a bit thorny I think in games do you take the best, do you take the worst do you take the middle one and give them advantage or a bonus for it, what happens if more people pass than fail it's, it's always a little bit convoluted but I, I do quite like the idea of like in a group based game having group based uh, abilities of which skills would be one um, and that could come from Gumshoe I don't think they go that far with it but that's kind of where I would take it and have done in other games yeah yeah. I do like having crew sheets as they're called in Blades for example or yeah. anything like that kind of yeah group roles are a tricky one I think probably they fail most often when I see with girls, when I, I feel they've failed anyway, is because it doesn't feel like someone's done the maths on it. Yeah. So quite often it's like, okay, well, everybody needs to succeed at a stealth roll. It's like, well, if you work out the chances of, a, of at least one person failing, that's like 97%. So yeah, like, what you're actually ask, saying is yeah. you failed. And it's, yeah. it's then not as interesting. Um, so you need for me personally if we're making a game for Gary it would be a way of having a group role that doesn't involve it being a lot worse you know virtually impossible mm. to succeed at something just because you've asked everybody to do it even if you think that's realistic or simulationist so it might be that you know more people need to fail than succeed or extra successes from one person can mitigate fails on another person's role and that kind of stuff yeah. that, that all feels then it feels like uh, you've got more of a group situation so if mm. I get a, an extreme success, for example, and that cancels out your fail, 
then it feels like I'm helping you, especially if you get the player to say how you help that other guy out. Then that that feels like a group role. Then it feels like you are all like you know going through the forest at night, trying not to be caught and stuff, because you get some interaction between the different player characters. So yeah, so, something that promotes an actual group activity, I think, helps with group roles. Whereas everybody make your own individual role and come back and tell us what you've done, and then we'll you know just work out a result feels a little bit like we're all just having lonely fun again and it's not a group a group role yeah especially with the dreaded perception check where you, everyone has to roll it only one of you needs to get it and then that person has to say or feels that they have to say i make sure i go and tell everyone what i saw because you know at some point in their their past they've had a dickhead gm who said well i didn't hear you say that you passed on the information <laughs> so you're all screwed <laughs> yeah, I always find it a little bit odd in Germany. Actually, I, I seem to find it more than often. These players always ask me, "Oh, do you tell us that?" I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, no. like why wouldn't?" I? <laughs> oh, but obviously, it's been a thing for them in like the you know how the gaming scene is over there or something like that, or certainly the group that goes to the crack and stuff. And it, it just seems weird to me. Like, why wouldn't I tell you all this information? Absolutely, but it happens often enough that it's obviously a thing. It's obviously a thing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I, um, I can't quite remember the exact detail on this. Maybe you can, Gaz, but I think, and this was certainly in the playtest version of Blades in the Dark. I'm not sure if it made it to the final one, but I remember that having a really cool kind of group skill check, which involved picking a leader uh, who would make a role, and their role would be affected massively by who else was doing it with them. Um, and it was like inverted for stealth. Like the more of you there is trying to stealth, the harder it is. And, uh, but the more of you trying to intimidate, the easier it would be. And I remember like it, but there was some really cool rule in there about where the stress fell on a failure. And it was something like if you were if you were the leader and you succeeded but everyone else failed, you took the stress because it's like, oh my God, I can't believe the idiots I'm working with or, or the other way around. It was quite <laughs> yeah, clever. Do you remember the detail on that? Uh, not fully, but yeah, it's, it's if you're taking the lead on a, an infiltration or whatever, everybody else who fails gives you a point of stress. Mm. But but you get to you get to lead it and make you know, make your own role and stuff like that. So yeah. that's that it is quite a cool way of doing it the other way around and that gives you some like game to deal with as well if you're looking at like like almost the person who's picked to, to be a leader on something will be the person who's least stressed because they can take the most hits yeah. on it almost which but that that makes mm -hmm. that makes sense if you're playing oceans 11 or something like that and it's like oh god how are we going to get out of here you'd look to the person who was cool and calm not the jittering you know wreck in the corner who's just a bundle of nerves so the cool guy stands yeah. forward and goes, don't worry guys follow me i know what i'm doing and they took all the hits. So that's again a good example of a system leading into the fiction. Yeah, and and I think you know that is a game that we we talk about a lot, where clearly some thinking, some deep thinking has gone into um, not about necessarily trying to simulate reality, but trying to simulate the fiction that they want to try and get at the table, the media that it comes from, the comics, the video games, etc. The cool moments it generates, cool moments in play, it gives you something to talk about. Whereas on the flip side, I think a game that will have like you know five different types of science skill, unless you are playing like you know scientists going for tenure at a university, is probably not really thought about how that's actually going to play out. Despite the elaborate examples of making physics roles, it, is it really going to have an impact at the table? That's an interesting one. Um, and you know my my continuing mission is to only roll dice when it's interesting, and I, it's, I'm constantly failing at that. And it's mostly because <laughs> games keep wanting me to keep wanting me keep asking me to roll dice, uh, which I like doing as well. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? Skill systems make yes. you roll dice. I don't want to roll them because of the skill system. <laughs> Very strange. 
Well, unfortunately, we're going to leave you in, in that conundrum right now as uh, oh, time no. is against us. So you'll have to think about that some more. I'm going to have to fail forward to the next time. <laughs> I've got into chess rules or grappling mechanics or all kinds of other things that we could investigate once we go down this skills road. So out there in listener land, if you found this conversation even vaguely interesting and want to know more about it, or I think we should delve deeper into various little subsystems and that kind of thing to get more gaming goodness out of them, our hills. Do let us know. Yeah, we're going to set a very low difficulty number for diplomacy for this one, aren't we? If people want to get in touch, you're going to succeed. Say anything but a one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. And what would the smart party do? Thank you.